And welcome to Here We Stand. This is Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice, your regular host. It's January 9th, 2022, believe it or not. I know I thought I wouldn't make it to see this year, so you never know. Miracles happen, right, folks? The miracle of people helping one another and staying true to what we know is true and right. And to kick off the show today, I want to share with you a very warming incident that happened. As you know, we've been... uh, Posting a lot of stuff recently about the upcoming common law court trial verdict in the case of the roots of the Pfizer police state, the COVID police state and its agents, Pfizer, Crown of England, the Vatican, others. And the appeal went out to help me with this health emergency I'm in and uh, the kidney stone that came about as a result of chemical poisoning directed at me during the summer and the fall by people who do not want this truth to come out. Well, one of the many responses we got was from a woman who doesn't have a lot of money. As a matter of fact, she's homeless. She's written to me before. The only way she can communicate is by going to the library, getting on the email, the public email there, and getting my stuff and posting it all over the world. She's done that systematically for years, despite her, you know, homeless and financially deprived situation. And she wrote to me and said, I want to send you $20. Now, I know to somebody like her, $20 is a lot. It pays for food for several days. And, of course, they said to her, look, I know you're in dire straits. I don't want to take your money. But she said, no, look, this is more important than eating. I want to feel that I'm helping. I want to feel that I'm contributing and making a difference. And, you know, not only did that bring tears to my eyes, as I know it did her, but It reminded me very much of the Native folks that I used to work with, the ones who made this truth of genocide come out in the open, the ones that helped prosecute and stop these churches and criminal bodies. And they always had the same attitude. They said, look, we don't have much, but at least we can take on these people who did these crimes to us. And it's that kind of, you know, resolution in the face of one's own poverty, one's own health and other limitations, not letting our limitations stop us from doing what we know is right and necessary. Once we reach that point, we find a love that conquers death and conquers all of the villains in the world and the corporatocracy that's trying to crush all of us. So I want to put today's uh, show in that light. Thank that lovely friend and woman who sent in the 20 bucks and cost her so much and yet raised her at the same time. And I hope that spirit will animate all of you listening today. This show is here every Sunday, 3 p.m. Pacific, murderbydecree.com, republicofcanada.ca. Today is the case against Pfizer, the Vatican, and China, background and evidence. Now, if you've been following our work at republicofcanada.ca under breaking news, you'll see the announcement that went out the other day that next Saturday, January 15th, the verdict and sentence of a court that's been meeting since September on the west coast of Canada will be released. This is the International Common Law Court of Justice, the same court that tried and convicted and forced from office Pope Benedict in 2013. Now it's operating from a stronger basis. It's investigated how the roots of the COVID police state are found in the genocide started and carried on for many decades on the west coast of Canada. We see the actors of China the Vatican, Pfizer and G, GlaxoSmithKline, all of these corporations working together systematically to not only commit genocide first on Native children and then on all of us, but to hide that crime. And the verdict and uh, sentence of that court will be coming out next Saturday. A week from today, this Sunday program will be devoted to looking at that verdict and evidence. 
and sentence. Now, we're going to do necessary background to that today, and uh, part of it is looking into the whole history of medical genocide and how that originated, and how the west coast of Canada is not only a major site of the um, imposition of a new police state led by China and the, the corporate uh, you know, dictatorship we're living under. But it's an area that where you can hide these crimes very easily. And so today we're going to play a show from July, 20, uh, July 11th of 2021 where we went into detail about what that medical genocide looks like on the ground. It has some very interesting things in it, including a discussion of um, the nature of the Vatican and its corporate nature, the fact that uh, Justin Trudeau's handler, a man called John Seeley, uh, was one of the guys who helped create the Canadian Prime Minister's Manchurian candidate condition. He was a CIA um, MKUltra doctor who lived with the Trudeau family and was the handler of all three Trudeau children. We're going to hear about that today. A lot of other necessary background evidence because the unholy triangle of church, state, and corporations that did the genocide and carrying on today we're going to be looking at the details of that, not in general, but in specifically name the names, the corporate in individuals, and the institutions behind them that are causing this ongoing genocide. That'll be the, the show today. And again, I want to remind you that all of this is posted at murderbydecree.com under ITCCS updates and republicofcanada.ca under breaking news. You can also write to me. Kevin Anna, Eagle Strong Voice, at angelfire101 at protonmail.com. And this show is very necessary, informative background for what you're going to hear next Saturday that will be posted on those sites when the court releases its verdict and sentence next Saturday. And then we'll talk about it on next Sunday's show on January the 16th. So until then, I hope this edifies you today. I hope you're inspired to do more than listen and to become actively involved, because the advantage we have now is that we have a new enforcement body. We have Republic of Canada common law sheriffs and courts that can enforce the verdict. We have the common law republic movement now active in Canada, America, England, Ireland, France, Italy, Sweden, Russia, and Australia. All of those countries have people that are setting up their own sovereign jurisdictions, republic jurisdictions that can issue the arrest warrants. So we have a great advantage over the last time the court met in 2013. We're looking at the how the COVID police state today is rooted in the genocide that we've documented, and we have a new enforcement arm, these Republic courts. So there's need now to take great hope in what we're doing, folks. We're stronger now, we're clear, and we carry this on, but we have to have knowledge of what we've done up to now to make this court decision clear and actionable. So that's what the show is going to be today, and take inspiration and knowledge from it. We'll be back live next week with the verdict and sentence of the International Common Court of Justice. And until then, stay strong, stay clear. I thank you. Yeah, that was Phil Oaks, our brother from the 70s, 60s and 70s, so fantastic radical folk singer. Died too young in 1975, but his spirit and song and message lives on in all of us with hearts to feel and minds to be reclaimed and to think. This is Here We Stand. I'm your regular host, Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. It is actually July 11th. Believe it or not, people, we've made it this far. And uh, some of the 
lines I love from that song. Um, they cannot. They tell you in the classroom it cannot happen here, but it has happened here. Yes, George Orwell predicted it, and we are living in an Orwellian Big Brother state. The main attribute of which is reinvent history every few minutes, and we're seeing that, of course, happening. The Canadian government is now telling everybody that. Hey, we just discovered these mass graves, even though we knew about them, because we're the ones who buried those kids in the first place. But, of course, these graves were mentioned as early as November 15th, 1907, on the front page of the Ottawa Citizen. Look at it all, all of that evidence at murderbydecree.com. You can write to us, republicofkanata at gmail.com. And you might notice I keep switching those emails around, because they keep getting attacked all the time for some reason. Gee, I don't know why. And I forgot to mention as well, and I shouldn't, my adopted Anishinaabek name, Eagle Strong Voice, or Gano Geshue Gekido, was given to me by my adopted father, Louis Daniels, Whispers Wind in Winnipeg in 2007. And one of the things Louis said to me at the time was, you've got to do this movement among your people to reclaim your own hearts that have been taken from you. And we've got to do this work among our people. We can't do it together as one, but we can do it side by side. That's the only way to create a new nation, side by side. And we realize this whole campaign to expose and prosecute genocide in Canada that has the perpetrators of church and state with their backs to the wall where they even now have to crawl and cringe and pretend they're sorry for their crime. That shows that we have won people. It shows that as Sun Tzu says in The Art of War, we have set the terms of battle and they have to respond. It took over a generation. Back in 1998, or the first tribunal in Vancouver in June, we said, yes, here's the mass graves. Yes, it was genocide. The churches and government, the Catholic, Anglican, United Churches have to be prosecuted, brought to a war crimes trial, and disestablished. And guess what's happening now, folks? That's exactly what's going on. And the little funny bit of news that came out of Ottawa the other day is, guess what? We have a new governor general, and she's a native woman. It's called redwashing. No one would dare disestablish the Canadian state and crown now because there's a native woman at the helm. She's our official head of state. Well, that's not our country, people. Don't forget, Canada and the crown was legally disestablished February 2013 at the first war crimes trial of the International Common Law Court of Justice, forced Pope Benedict down, forced three other cardinals to resign, and forced all of this absurdity going on right now where the perpetrators of church and state are pretending to be doing the right thing. We went by a Catholic church the other day, and they have all these little orange shirts and children's shoes outside on the steps. Isn't that nice? They kill the children, and then they pretend to mourn them. I mean, it gets totally absurd, but this is the situation we're in now. You can live in their reality of absurdity, or you can live in the new reality, as Phil Oak said in that song. There's a new creation about. And by living in the new creation, we realize, okay, let's look at our own history. One of the lines from his song as well, I love, I, nothing I've ever learned. Let me get the line straight here. I got my education from a black eye. Well, that's true for me. The best education we have is our own experience. And in that regard, today what we're going to do on the show is recover a number of things that are being systematically wiped out of our collective memory. And that is, for example, not only to campaign to identify where these graves are and to bring the perpetrators to justice. Well, the point is they already have been brought to justice. The question now is not 
another investigation, another bunch of words that don't cause any immediate arrest of these people, we have to start enforcing the warrants. And in that regard, the great news that came out on July 1st, to remind you, again, go to republicofcanada.ca. Under breaking news, you'll see all these announcements. July 1st, an eviction and banishment order was issued to the against the Catholic, Anglican, United Churches, the federal government, Crown of England. All of them are to get off the land of nine different indigenous nations, going from the Squamish nation on the West Coast, the Shushwap, the Chilcotin, the Cree, the Anishinaabek in central Canada, the Mohawk, and Mi'kmaq on the East Coast. They all said, get off our land. We're evicting you. We're taking over the buildings. We're not just burning the buildings now, because you notice that's been going on. People have been pulling down statues. Some of our Republic citizens in Winnipeg actually started that movement to pull down the statues of Queen Elizabeth and Queen Victoria. But we don't want to just burn these church buildings. They belong to us. They're owed to us as reparations under international law. The property and the money of the and the records of these criminal churches are forfeited under international law. They belong to us, we the people. We have every right to go in and claim and occupy these churches. Evict the priests and tell them if you come back, you're going to be arrested. And all of that is our lawful right under international law. So that's the, the whole movement that we're a part of, that we're instigating across Canada. And we do that within our own sovereign jurisdiction. And that's why this campaign to nullify genocide leads directly to the republic, because you can't stop the genocidal system from within it. You have to do it from a different sovereign nation and jurisdiction. And that's the trouble, folks, when a lot of you are out there doing common law education and forming common law courts, it has no standing because you're still within the old crown jurisdiction. You need the republic jurisdiction, republicofcanata.ca. Read more. Join up. You can. Uh, it's, it's all there. The movement is spreading rapidly. As a matter of fact, there's so many people getting on board, we can't keep up with it. So today, one of the things I want to do, I mentioned a few other things. July, and in that regard about the Republic, on the weekend of July 1st and 4th, the long-awaited Constitutional Convention of the Republic happened in Vancouver. These were delegates from across Canada. They established the final constitution. You can see that if you go to republicofcanada.ca. The, under Documents of the Republic, you'll see the complete approved constitution. Now, this is important because that lawfully disestablishes Canada. Now that we have a constituted republic with its own convention, that's the ultimate law under which we stand. Not only the law of God, but the law of the republic and its constitution. That is what every policeman, every soldier, every official in Canada now needs to take an oath of allegiance to the constitution of the republic. We are also planning to hold elections to a national congress no later than December 31st of this year. And that we are doing in alliance with our indigenous friends. That is those traditional sovereign native nations, not the puppet chiefs who are the chief obstacle to anything that we're trying to do. Not the government puppets, but the indigenous, the clan mothers, the indigenous traditional elders. Like Suzanne Holland, who was on our show two weeks ago. So in that regard, there was a really important announcement. But I want, one thing I wanted to flag, and this was another really funny thing that happened this last week. It's about, well, the topic isn't funny, but the circumstances around it are. Topic of medical genocide, the Indian hospitals that we've been campaigning about for many years. Suddenly, they're talking about it in Parliament now, of course. The best way as lawyers teach each other in law school is that 
when there's bad evidence against you, you don't run from it. You embrace it and spin it in the direction you want. And that's what they're doing now. These genocidal hospitals where so many children were experimented on and murdered, like the Nanaimo Indian Hospital, the R.W. Large United Church Hospital in Bella Bella, B.C., the Charles Campbell Hospital in Edmonton, the Lakehead Psychiatric Hospital, it goes on. Eyewitnesses and everything you can see at murderbydecree.com describe what went on in there. Well, guess who stands up in Parliament and starts talking about the Nanaimo Indian Hospital? Paul Manley. Who was Paul Manley, you say? Well, he's the Green Party, a member of Parliament from Nanaimo, where I occasionally drop my hat. And Paul got up and began to talk about the Nanaimo Indian Hospital. Now, this is very interesting because for many years, he would run from the subject. And I know him. I used to meet him at parties and that in Nanaimo. And I tried talking to him about this stuff before he was an MP. And he would get very upset because he's the son of Jim Manley, who was a United Church minister. Hold on. It gets even more interesting. He was a member of Parliament, too. And Jim and his wife, Eva Manley, go totally ballistic at the sound of my name after I got thrown out of the United Church because one of the things I did early on was I began to publish evidence we found about the Nanaimo Indian Hospital the, and the Bella Bella Hospital, the RW Large Hospital, where Dr. George Darby Sr. was sterilizing Native women en masse. He was doing horrendous drug testing experiments that were causing huge numbers of dead. They have mass graves around the Nanaimo Indian Hospital right there next to Vancouver Island University in Nanaimo on Fifth Avenue. You can go and see it behind barbed wire because it's all in military land, of course, and secret. But Jim Manley and his wife, Eva, and their son, Paul, were the ones who kind of kept the lid on the whole issue. Well, now they're getting up, Paul's getting up, and putting the official government spin on the Nanaimo Indian Hospital. Now, of course, he's not going to mention anything like what you hear in murderbydecree.com. And let me read some of this. Uh, it's from a, a woman called Joan Morris. And uh, I got to know Joan really well. She's a survivor of the Nanaimo Indian Hospital. She gave, a, gave a talk at Nanaimo uh, at the Vancouver Island University and, uh, in 2006. And shortly after she gave the talk about her incarceration in the Nanaimo Indian Hospital, guess what? The bulldozers went in and knocked down all the buildings that were surviving from that, that era. And uh, let me just quote uh, Joan from one of the talks she gave. Uh, they were Aboriginal kids scooped up reserves or out of the residential schools, and we all were stuck in there together. The Indian Affairs doctor lied to my mother and said I had TB when I didn't. They had me in that hospital until I was a teenager. They were always giving me shots and taking, giving me things to drink that made me sick. They'd do surgery on me. They broke all the bones in my feet so I couldn't run away. Later, I found out I couldn't have children. They had sterilized me in there, and they were doing that to a lot of the young girls. She even mentioned doctors Weinrib and Schmidt, who are local Vancouver Island doctors who were being paid $300 for every Native woman they sterilized. That was coming from the Department of Indian Affairs right up until the 1980s. Of course, now sterilization often happens through the mandatory vaccinations, which no Indian can refuse under the law if you're living on a reservation. And that's the point here. One of the reasons uh, Manley is doing this spin on the Indian hospitals is because what went on there was a direct precursor to what's going on now with the COVID. The Pfizer and all these other big pharma companies that are pushing the the, uh, coronavirus so-called vaccine 
they were testing it out for years on native children in these Indian hospitals. So you've got to get rid of that evidence and spin it and cover it up if you want to conceal the crime going on today. Mandatory vaccination laws have been the case against Indians for over 100 years in Canada. They're just now applying it to all of us. So then that's Joan Morris. The, you know, the testimonies, if you go through murderbydecree.com section one, you'll see many of these. Uh, another uh, woman I know on Vancouver Island, Renee LaFortune, uh, her, doc, her father, she was a Native woman who was adopted by an um, uh, uh, experimental researcher called Roger LaFortune. And um, she describes being sent to a military research center called the National Defense Medical Center in Ottawa, where they were doing not only drug testing, but horrendous experiments that were causing deaths, again, en masse. And one of the guys she met was this guy, Major Bob Armstrong, which was a cover name. He was a Nazi SS doctor, SS tattoo number 091374SS. We believe his name was uh, uh, Otto Rayner. Uh, he was an associate of Josef Mengele at Auschwitz. And a lot of these Nazis came into Canada after the war to work in these Indian hospitals. Now, this is all the, the kind of garbage and, and bad history that the Canadian government and, and their flunkies like Paul uh, Manley are trying to cover up now. So, you know, this talk of Indian hospitals you'll be hearing in the press, it's another big spin because they realize they want to finally bury the whole issue of genocide. And they've done it. They've silenced the eyewitnesses with payoffs and gag orders in return for a bit of blood money. They burned a lot of documents. It's come out over the years how as early as 1960, the government was commissioning document destruction teams to go into the residential schools and Indian hospitals and wipe out any incriminating evidence. The final piece is you've got to get rid of the bones, and that's what they're doing. And, again, to remind folks, the Loops school uh, mass grave only uh, came into the news because an insider spilled the beans. The Mounties were actually going in there to do a standard uh, – bone destruction operation, but an insider blew the whistle on it, and then they had to spin it to make it look like they're actually investigating. But don't forget, these so-called digs that nobody can watch, nobody is allowed in to see it, they're actually destroying the evidence of their own crime scene. And again, that's a crime under the law. But hell, you know, the criminals are in charge, they get away with it. The only way that's going to change is if we bring in our own narrative, our own memory, and our own direct action, our own investigations. And this is what we're doing now under the jurisdiction of the republic now before we take our uh, i'm going to play a, a very interesting clip from a, a lecture i was to give at oxford university in 2016 i believe and what's uh, significant in all this there's two major powers to look at china and the vatican china of course for obvious reasons because they're the rising power they're taking over canada thanks to their puppet justin trudeau and um the the Vatican is the chief partner in what they're doing. The Catholic Church ran this whole genocidal program. They set up the original model for the so-called residential schools that were adopted later. They are the oldest criminal on the block. And, um, and so it's very important to understand the nature of this beast. And I wrote a book recently, one of my 18 books I've written. It's called Dethroning a Rogue Power. Why the Vatican Must Be Denied Membership and Presence at the United Nations and in the World Community. Now, I know I can hear you saying, well, the UN is all corrupt and bankrupt anyway. True enough. But it's a good platform from which to make good propaganda about the Vatican and their criminal nature. Because the Vatican should not be sitting anywhere in the UN. They're a convicted criminal body. 
And they snuck in illegally into the UN anyway, posing as a nation when they're not, of course. So it's really important to understand the nature of the of the Vatican and its its generations old criminal, genocidal, satanic nature. And in that regard, I'm going to play now this um, talk I was to give at uh, Oxford University, the Oxford Debating Society. It's the oldest one in the world, and they divide for some silly reason. They invited me to come and speak. Uh, to actually debate a Catholic cleric on the topic, is there any good in the Roman Catholic Church? And, of course, I said yes, but they canceled on me just before. So I'm going to play that because it's filled with a lot of goodies about the Catholic Church and the Vatican, which you need to know because they're one of our chief adversaries in this battle, and they're the ones behind a lot of the spin. Um, Jesuit-educated Justin Trudeau is in direct conference with the Pope himself about how to spin and contain this whole genocide. So we're going to play that now, and we'll be back after. Good evening, I'm Kevin Annett, and tonight I'm going to give you a lecture that I was to present to the Oxford Union, which is the oldest debating society in the world. In April 2016, I was invited to come there in Oxford University in England and debate a cleric of the Catholic Church over the issue. Uh, funnily enough, the topic was, is there any good in the Roman Catholic Church? Well, as so often happens on these occasions, the invitation to me was unexplainably withdrawn about two weeks before the event, and the debate between me and him never happened. So I thought it would be good to post online for the world to see exactly what I was going to say that night. Good evening. Let me begin by saying what a pleasant surprise it is to be able to join you all here tonight. The last time I tried to give a public talk in England, at a London rally to protest child trafficking by church and state, your privately run UK border agency saw fit to arrest fingerprint, jail me, and then finally deport me from your country without giving a reason at all. So be that as it may, and it usually is, I especially want to thank you for having me here tonight, having the courage to have me here tonight. Tonight's topic for debate is framed rather tellingly. Is there any good in the Roman Catholic Church? And assumingly by that is meant its holding company, the Vatican Incorporated. Well, the very wording of the subject is interesting because it implies that, no, there isn't any good at all. Let's search for some. Of course, trying to locate integrity in a corporation is like looking for love in a brothel. So perhaps the question of tonight's debate has already been answered. My job's done. We can all go home. In any event, the title of the main event tonight is a bit confusing, beginning with the term good, which is, after all, a completely relative and morally ambiguous term. The Spanish conquistadors and their slaughter-blessing Catholic priests thought that they were doing good when they wiped out millions of non-Catholic people for their own good. The Vatican's Inquisition that barbecued and tortured to death Christians who disagreed with Rome was officially entitled an auto de fe, which means act of faith. Even the present so-called liberal Pope Francis, Jorge Bagaglio, speaks of the goodness and zeal of the Franciscan missionaries who worked to death thousands of Aboriginal men, women, and children on Catholic slave plantations in California. Well, some things never change. Bergoglio also recently pardoned some 10,000 of his own child-raping priests, no doubt in the same spirit of doing good, at least good for his own institution. Human beings, especially when goaded on and justified by religion, always adorn their crimes in a halo of goodness. I've had personal experience of what I speak about. 
for over 20 years in Canada, I've lived and worked and documented the alongside these folks who have lived through this story, the reality of genocide in Canada, perpetrated mostly by Catholic-run Indian residential schools, where over 60,000 children died. Half of these children never came back because of, at the hands of the priests and nuns, they were ritually tortured, routinely starved, trafficked, experimented upon, flogged, gang-raped, and killed en masse with smallpox and tuberculosis. Not one Catholic priest has ever gone to trial for any of these crimes, nor will they. These killers are above the law as it stands now. And having had the misfortune of speaking with enough of these scum, I know that these complicit clergy are still convinced that they were only trying to do good to the little brown savages by killing their bodies to save their souls, to quote their buddy Thomas Aquinas, one of the founding theologians of the Catholic Church. So perhaps what we need to do is redefine the term good in a better way. Using this simple definition, to do good means to do no harm to others and to let them be themselves. Of course, under that definition, you immediately disqualify the, and condemn the Roman Catholic Church, which has killed more people than any institution in human history. The Church of Rome's body count is well over 50 million corpses, ever since it was made a legal corporation by the Emperor Constantine in the year 317. All right, all right, that may all be true, sputtered the defenders of Rome. So nobody's perfect. But look at all the charitable works the church does all the time. Isn't that good? Well, in that sense, perhaps tonight's topic for debate should have been entitled instead, Was There Any Good in Pablo Escobar, the head of the criminal syndicate known as the Medellin Drug Cartel? Because Pablo engaged in lots of charitable good works for the poor folks of Colombia. Just like the Roman Catholic Church, of which he was a dues-paying member, Pablo used his ill-gotten loot to build shelters for the homeless, playgrounds for some slum kids, and soup kitchens for the hungry. Of course, that charitable money was covered in blood and paid for by the early deaths from drug addiction of the very same people he was helping, but still, he was doing some good, wasn't he? Now, my analogy between Pablo Escobar and the Vatican is more than fitting, since not only are the members of the same club, but also the Vatican Bank is heavily invested in the international drug cartels as well as the arms and human trafficking industries that go along with it. GMO companies, Big Pharma, the biggest small arms company in the world, Beretta Limited, even dozens of online internet porn companies, all of these 100% Vatican investments pay for the goodies doled out to those deserving poor people who kiss the claw that feeds them. But let's take on directly the suggestion that the Roman Catholic Church, as the world's richest and least accountable corporation, plays a major role in providing charitable sustenance to the world's needy. Let's ask, what percentage of the Church's annual revenue actually goes towards charitable works? Well, it's an important question, not only for the debate tonight, but because the only legal basis for the Church to be exempt from paying taxes under the Law of Nations is that they must devote all, not some, but all, of their collected revenue for either the advancement of religion or charitable works. Well, right there, you cannot go to the Roman Catholic Church unless someone wants to explain what money laundering for the mafia, buying cruise missiles for third world dictators, or issuing routine bribes to politicians and governments all over the world have to do with either religion or charity. What percentage of the Catholic Church's revenue goes towards charity? Actually, less than 1% at least in America. For tellingly, that's the only country in the world where the church consistently publishes any of its financial records. 
After all, the Vatican is a closed, self-governing, totally unaccountable body, like any secret criminal society. But that inconvenient, lingering notion of a separation of church and state found in the American Constitution requires that even the Catholic Church has to create an appearance of transparency. And so according to the U.S. government, in the year 2013, the Roman Catholic Church in America had a net revenue of $13.4 billion. And that's just in one country, where only about 15% of the world's Catholics live. By projection, the annual income of the Vatican must be in the hundreds of billions of dollars, not just from all those collection plates from those saps, from its, but also from its massive global investment portfolio and its secret financial concordat agreements with over 100 governments that channel a regular percentage of your tax money into the Vatican Bank and all of its criminal behavior. But coming back to America, the one country where a light is shone on the murky underworld of Vatican finances, according to the same self-audit of the Catholic Church, of the $13.4 billion raked in during 2013, only 1.1% of it went to charity. But since half of that amount came from government grants to Catholic aid societies, in reality, a whopping 0.6% of the income went from the bank accounts into charities. But since those charities are mostly owned and operated by the church itself, it just means that one hand of the octopus is feeding the other. Quite brilliant, don't you think? One half of 1%, friends. The truth is that the Roman Catholic Church is not a force for charitable works. Just look at the books. It's, in fact, a huge criminal racket, a money-sucking corporation that kept afloat by every taxpayer in the world. Okay, so let's turn to the other basis for the church not paying a dime of taxes, the advancement of religion. What percentage of its time and money goes towards advancing its particular, and I might say extremely violent, religious creed? Less than 10%. That's the time each week a priest spends conducting prayers, masses, or catechism classes, according to the church itself, according to a statement from the Vatican's governing College of Cardinals, who in 2014 issued an internal report concerning the training and ordination of its priests. The main job of the clergy, according to the cardinals, is the material and social upkeep of the church, guarding the building, the safeguard of its traditions and operations, and the expansion of its income and membership. Like in any big corporation, somebody somewhere tell me where God, let alone Jesus Christ, enters into that whole mess. Okay, strike two. In case you didn't know, that's a baseball term. I don't play cricket. The third and final strike against the Roman Catholic Church and you've got to watch out that for that term because the word Catholic means universal, which it does not. The final strike against the Catholic Church lies in its real and not imagined nature. Once its enormous pretense and lie is pulled back and we see it for what it is historically and today. But to do so and to pierce the mental fog surrounding the Vatican Incorporated, we have to realize that the papacy is not a Christian church at all. On the contrary, it is in every respect a cult of emperor worship derived from late 3rd century Rome, not from the historic Jesus, not even from the early Christian church. This fact is crucial if we are to deal with the mental confusion of many people, atheists included, who ponder helplessly, but how can a body that preaches about the love of Jesus cause mass murder, genocide, and institutionalized child rape? Of course, the simple answer to that is that it's always the worst child rapist in town who has the most sterling reputation. The latter is needed as a cloak by any crook. The bigger the felony, the sweeter the coating. 
talk, my friends, is easy, especially from a pulpit. But let's not forget what Jesus himself warned, quote, Many false prophets will come in my name and say, I am the Christ. But do not be fooled. By their works, you shall know them. Bingo. By their works, you shall know them. Well, we can see the works of the papacy all too well. Conquest, brutality, just wars, genocide, inquisition, and the crushing of the human spirit. And it all began when the Roman emperors Aurelian and Constantine created the Roman Catholic Church on the murdered bones of the early Christian church. The church was an extension and continuation of that other big killing machine called the Roman Empire. Proof of this, you don't have to look any further than the Pope's official title, which is Pontifex Maximus, which in Latin means the Great Bridge, between guess where? Heaven and Earth. That was the Latin title of the emperors of Rome, starting with Aurelian in the year 275, who also assumed the title Dies et Dominus, means God and Master. One man who's become God. Well, first that was the emperor, but now today to a Catholic, it's the Pope. Christ is no longer the link to God, but a man is. Elected and elevated blasphemously over humanity, even over God, by other old men in funny hats. Well, not surprisingly, every newly elected Pope is also given the title Vicari Christi, which is even more blatant. In Latin, it means the replacement of Christ, the one who replaces Christ. In black and white, it's right there. Catholicism, papism, is the replacement of Christianity, an empire of conquest and wealth relying on the means of the world and not the way of Christ. Just look at the body count. And listen to these admissions of guilt right from the horse's mouth, or I should say ass, statements from various popes down the centuries that have never been contradicted or repudiated by any of their successors. Pope Boniface, in 1302, we declare it is necessary for every human creature to be subject to the Roman pontiff. Pope Leo, in 1520, the Pope of, is Christ himself on earth. Pope Pius, in 1929, fascism is simply the doctrines of our faith made the law and government. Pope John, in 1962, no man may enter into Christ unless he be led there by the sovereign pontiff. Pope John Paul in 1996, have no fear when men call me Christ on earth, for I am he. Pope Benedict in 2008, you need not go to Christ for salvation, come to me. Pope Francis in 2016, Christ made himself sin, made himself the devil. That's new. For our salvation. Only the church and its magisterium can claim holy infallibility. Have you had enough? I know I have. Well, is it any wonder that such a power-obsessed, megalomaniac religion makes itself unaccountable, sees nothing with its crimes, and uses the image and words of Christ himself to delude and soak its millions of dupe followers to believe that a bit of a communion wafer or a papal blessing or the right amount of cash delivered into church coffers will buy their way into heaven, as if one can? Well, unfortunately, I saw it for myself when I was last in Rome in 2011. Right there in the Vatican Museum, a display board for buying indulgences, just like out of Martin Luther's day. Special papal blessings cost you only 150 euros. The more you spend, the closer you get to heaven. Although, be warned, apparently, according to the sign, apparently God prefers credit cards to cash. How right when Pope Leo in 1520 said, this myth of Christ has served us well. 
Well, the most dangerous group in the world is a super wealthy cult that sees itself as God, superior to everyone, and therefore justifying in doing whatever is needed to protect itself and rule the world. A cult, in other words, like the Church of Rome. What other, what other being than a cult can operate according to a criminal policy like Crimin Solicitanus, which has been binding on all Catholics since the year 1929? That policy states that whenever a child is raped or otherwise harmed by a priest, the police are not to be told, the victim is to be silenced, and if anyone speaks of this, they are excommunicated, thrown into hell for snitching on a rapist. Clearly, the god of Rome, like the Mafia, cannot tolerate a snitch. Better instead to operate under a global criminal conspiracy to aid and abet child rapists and killers than to cost the church a lawsuit or save a child's life. Heaven forbid. And yet, despite all of this criminal arrangement, the world keeps wondering why there's so much child rape within the Church of Rome. Are we all that blind? Do we really think a lion isn't going to eat a gazelle? Well, John Acton, a British politician, said, Absolute power corrupts absolutely. He was referring to the Church of Rome when he made that statement, something conveniently left out of the history books. The Church of Rome is absolutely corrupt, but it also corrupts whoever is near to it, like all who attend it, who fund it, who associate with it, or rent its halls, or smile on its policies, or look the other way at all its public relations gestures. All who do so partake in that corruption. And under the law of God and mankind, those human accessories are equally guilty of all its crimes. The only good that can be said to come out of this most violent, corrupt, and anti-Christ body in history is how its evil awakens people to the need for a return to the simple words, witness, and spirit of Jesus himself a spirit that has always been the chief adversary of the Church of Rome. Jesus founded a community of called-out people, a remnant not of this world, a congregation, not a church. Nowhere did Jesus speak of popes, of bishops, of rituals and ceremonies by which someone would mediate him and God to others. He said that the kingdom of heaven lay inside each of us, not outside in a communion wafer or a religious ritual. That inner kingdom of Christ alone is the guide of all true Christians, who must come out from and be separate from all these vile, false and violent churches that deny God in practice and kill children in practice. And that's the task of any deluded soul still caught in the fatal grip of Rome and its blasphemous illusions and depravities. As America's founding father said, we hold this truth to be self-evident. And one of those men, the second U.S. president, John Adams, said, quote, a free government and the Roman Catholic religion can never exist together in any nation or country. Liberty and popery are opposed, unquote. The nature of an ancient corporate evil like the Church of Rome does not change over time. It simply alters its appearance because it comes out of the dark ruler of this world, the one whom Jesus said, he is a lie from the beginning, for he is the father of lies, Satan. It's a good thing to free ourselves from a lie as huge as Roman Catholicism, and as criminal. As free-born men and women, we are made for the truth, and when we recognize it, our hearts and our minds breathe freely and we return to our natural sense of liberty and independence. From that place of freedom, we are empowered to take action to stop criminals in every high place, whether they be popes or presidents or prime ministers. For we, the people, are the source of all sovereignty, of government, of law, and of religion. We can and must stop and arrest and confine child-raping priests when the police and courts refuse to do so. We can and must shut down the churches that traffic children and have hidden their crimes over centuries, like the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church of England, the United Church of Canada, 
all of these criminal bodies. For the life of one child is more sacred than all the fanfare and rituals of any church anywhere. Well, Jesus had his own prescription for child killers. He said, whoever would harm one of these innocent ones should have a millstone placed around his neck and be thrown into the sea. Well, I wonder what Jesus would say about an entire institution that mocks God, murders with impunity, rapes and murders children, and protects those who do so. Is there a millstone that is big enough to sink such an institution? Yes, there is. It is we, the people. I thank you. And we're back. This is Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Voice. And to make it personal, make it very real. These things are happening as we speak. I was outside Holy Rosary Cathedral the other day at the William Coombs Memorial Park. That's the church we occupied in 2008 that forced the apology, that forced the whole bogus Truth and Reconciliation Commission. They folded within two weeks of us occupying that church. Something happened that day. And William was wonderful that day, William Coombs. He uh, overcame his drinking. He was elated that we had occupied that church together. We renamed after he was murdered in St. Paul's Hospital. Recently, we renamed that park the William Coombs Memorial Park. But I was there the other day doing some filming. And I look over, and there are the duped flock walking into that church. And they've got all little children's shoes doing the politically correct thing on the steps, even though they're still trafficking those children and their descendants through their church. As a matter of fact, there's a tunnel system that runs under Holy Rosie Cathedral to all of the downtown churches, the Vancouver Club and the waterfront, where a lot of human trafficking still goes on. But there people keep going in and funding it. You know, and it's... Anyone who's at all sensitive or aware can be really depressed by all that when they see how evil is so institutionalized and sitting on its throne, apparently. But the power of truth is that it can bring it down in a moment. And that tends to happen in history. Things seem, every tyranny seems really stable to right at the last minute, and then bang, it collapses. And we see that happening in Canada right now. I'm going to get into that a little bit more, but first, before I forget something, Somebody dropped me an email saying, please tell us more about the Nanaimo Indian Hospital and Paul Manley. And I I thought, well, okay, (laughs) because there's a lot more to be said. It's very interesting because um, his father, Jim Manley, the former member of parliament, maybe still is, I'm not sure, but um, the United Church Minister, he was part of what's called the West Coast Marine Mission. Now, this is me stumbling over this is what got me fired back in 1995 because the West Coast Marine Mission were all the United Church missionaries who went up and down the coast in all the little villages, and they would rape and traffic and experiment on and murder children. And uh, that happened very easily in Vancouver Island because of the isolation in different communities. That's why there are two Indian hospitals right there where a lot of these experiments went on. Well, uh, Paul Manley knew these guys, uh, or rather Jim Manley, his dad, knew these guys. He knew, um, at, at, on a first-name basis, George Darby, who was doing the experiments uh, at the uh, R.W. Large Hospital in Bella Bella, his son, George Darby Jr., and according to um, eyewitnesses like um, Vera Hunt and Harry Nahani, they described that they and their friends were taken in and anesthetized, and then raped on the operating table and had their gold teeth removed by George Darby, who then sterilized them. As a matter of fact, uh, Vera Hunt says in her statement at MurderByDecree.com that uh, George Darby warned her that she wasn't going to church. This is back in the early 1960s. 
And he said, if you don't um, come to church, you'll have to report for an operation. He says, I only sterilize the pagans. So in other words, if you were a non-Christian, you got sterilized automatically. Avera tried to avoid him, but uh, at, after she gave birth to her first child, she could only see Dr. Darby, the Indian agent, wouldn't let her see anybody else. Turns out her tubes were tied well, she, after she had her first baby when she was under. And this is the kind of guy that Jim Manley <laughs> colluded with. Now, when we began bringing up this truth, you know, the, the boot came down in a huge way. And wherever I went in Anamo to speak, the Manleys were there beforehand to stop it, to, you know, smear me, castigate me, anybody I knew, and block any attempt by me to lecture in Anamo, um, what was Malaspina College, now it's Vancouver Island University because they were right next door to where the Nanaimo Indian Hospital is. So his son, Paul, is now doing, you know, the job of covering up this whole thing. And um, I want to flag one final thing about that, which is significant. Uh, Justin Trudeau uh, and Pierre Trudeau, his father, were associates with a guy called John Seeley, who was a U.S. sociologist who worked for the MKUltra program. He was uh, basically doing... Uh, Manchurian candidate programming on the sons of politicians. He was a frequent visitor and um, uh, to the 24 Sussex, the, where the Prime Minister uh, Pierre Trudeau lived. And he was a mentor, according to Trudeau himself, he was a mentor to all three of the Trudeau boys, including Justin. Well, when you dig a little bit, it turns out that Jim Manley himself knew John Seeley as well. And one of the things that operates in these governmental and church cults is that you have to sacrifice at least one of your children or at least introduce them into the Manchurian candidate programming. And it's interesting looking at Paul Manley now. He has all of the demeanor of Justin Trudeau, somebody who's been worked on, somebody who's been programmed to say these things. So I wanted to flag that for people, to name those names, to let you know that this is not, you know, fantasy here. This is the way... People operate. Look it up. John Seeley, S-E-E-L-E-Y. He's got quite a notorious history, and we're going to get into that more. But this is one of the ways that these uh, this cover-up continues through the programmed agents in government. Now, uh, last few minutes, last 10 minutes, I want to flag some more things to folks. Uh, if I really urge people to go to murderbydecree.com. It's our best antidote to the rewriting of history happening right now. And their attempt to make it look like that the whole issue of mass graves and everything is now being resolved. No, it isn't. These are not investigations. They're crime scene destructions going on. If you look at some of the testimonies at the back of murderbydecree.com, you'll see, uh, we just mentioned the Catholic Church. They had a, an experimental center on a place called Cooper Island on Vancouver Island, um, just off the east coast of Vancouver Island. Cooper Island was a notorious Catholic Indian school and hospital. And uh, people like Dennis Charlie, Sandy Mitchell, George Harris, Arnold Sylvester, they, they uh, all described being experimented on before World War II by German-speaking doctors. Because there's a German uh, missionary society called the Montforts, M-O-N-T-F-O-R-T, the Montforts, which had direct ties with the Nazi government. And they were bringing over Nazi doctors before and after World War II to work in Indian hospitals. There were defense joint defense experimental research programs between the Nazi government and the Canadian government under uh, Mackenzie King, who was uh, actually very pro-Hitler in a lot of his beliefs. More Nazis came to Canada after the war than any country in the world because Louis Saint Laurent uh, from Quebec, another very pro-Nazi prime minister, would bring in whole SS divisions en masse, believe it or not, 
a lot of these Nazis coming in were the MKUltra doctors. They were working in the Nanaimo Indian Hospital, the um, Calgary Air Force Base uh, Hospital, where, you know, eyewitnesses described the pain threshold experiments being done by SS doctors in the 1950s on Native children. So I really urge you to go through those testimonies back because they describe, for example, Dennis Trump says, when I was 10, 50 boys and myself were made to line up in the infirmary, and some German-speaking doctors gave us injections in our chest. This was in 1939. Two needles near each, nip, uh, near each nipple. We started falling down right away. It made us sick, dizzy, and some of us passed out. Two of the boys died right away. One of them was my friend, Sandy Mitchell. They didn't tell us what the needles were for, but we were told never to talk about the shots. Now, of course, this was all legal. Um, under the Indian Act, just like it's legal now to force vaccines, but it's on people. But the point is to understand it's the same forces that were doing it to the natives then. They're still doing it now and are doing it to all of us under these so-called COVID measures. I mean, these are all, you know, uh, not new inventions. These these go back many years, but it's it changes its name, uh, like the uh, eugenics program, which set up the sterilization programs in both America and Nazi Germany, it renamed itself after World War II into the Human Genome Project. But the whole idea is the same. You want to create a master race of perfected human beings and wipe out all the so-called inferior peoples. You know, it just, uh, you know, transferred over the ocean, across the ocean after the war, and it's continuing on. There's a good book about that, actually, recommend uh, by Jim Mars, M-A-R-R-S, called The Fourth Reich, about how the Nazis transplanted into the whole U.S. government and corporate and medical communities um, after the war and how it's really determined the whole corporate society that we live in now. And in that sense, uh, in the last five minutes, I wanted to mention something that I'm going to go into again next week. It's my latest book called Memoirs of a Revolutionary, about yours truly. It's kind of a misleading title because it's not so much about me, although I kind of wind my story through it. It's really about understanding the present tyranny. It's a look at the politics of the last half century. What's happened in the world since the 1970s? How did it become such a tyrannical corporatized system where the rule of law and democracy is gone, where uh, the largest economies in the world are corporations, not, uh, you know, not countries, and you know, we live under this de facto police state? So in that, one of the things I point out is that, um, and I recommend you go to part two, it's called A Systemic Psychosis, The Nature of the COVID Corporate Police State. And there's um, a couple of things I want to flag in there. Right away, I show how the same orders in council that brought in the acts that created the residential schools, stripped natives of the right to sue or hire a lawyer, that brought in sterilization laws, that wiped out over half the children in the residential schools, those same orders in council were responsible for now bringing in these COVID measures. And um, when you look at what's being set up in Canada, it's really the kind of society that was modeled by Mussolini and Hitler in the death camps. And that is, it wasn't simple brutality. It was setting up a new society of total domination. And the characteristics of the inmates in that camp are exactly what you see around you now. The target of population, they're legally disenfranchised. They feel they have no basic rights. They uh, face an impersonal bureaucracy. 
I mean, try to talk to a human being anymore in the government system. You can't. It's all mechanized. The people are completely dominated physically and psychologically with the sense that there's no return to a normal life. And so as a result, they start regulating themselves. They're not ordered uh, so much to do. They know what to do without even having to be ordered. You can look at people putting the muzzles on their face or um, any of the other measures. There's no way they can police everyone to do it. They have to rely on people policing themselves. And so because of a consequence of that fear, the slave population eventually pursues its own self-destruction. They load themselves on the cattle cars. They line up for the injection, for the shots, which about three-quarters of Canadians have already done. And it's in that domination lies a new society of total slavery. And, of course, mental slavery is a big part of that, and hence the whole purpose of a lot of these medical genocide and experiments since World War II in the Indian hospitals and elsewhere have been to perfect those methods of mind control. Now, of course, there's a way out of all that because all of us are energy, and we can counter their modulation of our energy with our own. And the most basic way to do that, of course, is to break out of this system altogether. Simplest way is you go back onto the land, go into the forest, go near running water, hang out near children and animals, recover your own mind, Turn off the internet, stop believing anything you're told because it's all lies in the sense that it's designed to make you a slave and not trust yourself. And so with that, I'm going to uh, just flag one more thing before we leave, and that is something called the Panopticon, set up by a utilitarian philosopher, Jeremy Bentham in England. It was a design for a prison. And in the Panopticon, there's a central tower, and the guards watch everybody in the cells. And they can't watch them all the time, but the, the cells, uh, the people in the cells, the prisoners, think they're being watched all the time. So they shut the, the, the doors to their own cell. They police themselves because they think they're being monitored. The model of the panopticon is what we live under now. That's why there's dozens of TV cameras in every corner. Not because you're being watched, but because you think you're being watched. And so you police yourself. And so when we found we've tried to build the republic assemblies, the, the direct actions we take, we find people unwilling to take them because they're always afraid of what might happen to them. That's because they're, they're so conditioned to think like we're in the panopticon. Well, breaking out of that slave mentality is not something you do by yourself. You do it in a group. You do it by setting up a counter motion. That's why we have the jurisdiction of the Republic of Canada, republicofcanada.ca. Break your mind and your heart and your thoughts free from the system by joining with others. You can't do it only on your own. It may start with you, but it continues with others in our own self-governing republic assemblies. That's the whole thrust of what we're doing now. That's really the answer to all the tyranny and and horror that I've been describing today. Now, in that regard, final announcement, uh, in September, this whole campaign of direct action, shutting down the churches, reclaiming, uh, banishing them and reclaiming their properties and assets, arresting their officers, training people and educating them for this campaign, and building the republic across Canada, under the Republic of Canada sovereign jurisdiction. All of that is going to kick off in September. It's going to involve me uh, being on an organizing and speaking tour across Turtle Island, North America, in Canada and the United States, and then over to Europe. And this is part of a whole international movement. To be part of that, you can write to me, angelfire101 at protonmail.com, murderbydecree.com, republicofcanada.ca. And on a final personal note, I remember when I used to go to the United Church Sunday school, I would sit there every Sunday with my Bible and my little white envelope. 
And in the white envelope was a dollar bill, the church offering. About 20 cents of that dollar went to what is called the Mission and Service Fund. And that funded the residential schools. It funded the mass murder of children. I was paying for that at age 7 and 8 and 9 and 10. I was complicit in genocide, and we all are. The only way to wash away that blood is by bringing down the system that caused it in our own minds and in the world around us. You cannot take part in the system and be clean of it. You've got to build a new one from the inside out, from the grassroots, and that's what we're doing. We'll have more next week. We'll have more guests, including sovereign Indigenous activists who are part of our republic. And we're going to go out on this song, The Minstrel Boy, which really says it all. It's one of my favorite songs. Rather than live in slavery, we will die. But we don't have to die. We can live for tomorrow. And if death comes, it's better to die free. That's the only way to live. This is Kevin Annett, Eagle Strong Boy. Stay strong, stay clear. We'll be back soon.